Thank you for downloading this podcast from Paragon Church. You're listening to Pastor Matt Sellers as he goes through the book of Ephesians. We meet each Sunday at Cleveland High School at 10 a.m. I want to thank you for being here this morning. I am excited about this morning. I don't know about you. Um, you know, I, I hear uh, my Redeemer lives, and I, I see some singing and some standing like this. And I'm not sure if you know, but that's, that's exciting stuff. The fact that our Redeemer lives. I mean, we really don't need to be here if he didn't. If there was uh, only a Good Friday, I had this discussion with uh, my oncologist this week on Friday. They said, happy Good Friday to you. And I said, well, why exactly is it happy? I just want to see what they would say. Because it doesn't seem like the day that Jesus died should be happy, right? Because if Sunday didn't ever happen, Friday wouldn't have mattered, right? And, you know, when they say something like that, of course, this person was, uh, I'm not a very religious person. I grew up Jewish and... and, uh, we had a good conversation. She was actually telling me that she didn't realize that Calvary was an actual place, not just a church down in Osuna. And, uh, and so we had a good conversation, and I was thinking about those things and, and uh, just how exciting that really what happened on Friday culminated right here on Sunday and how exciting that is and how excited we should be. And the, the really funny thing is, is I was laughing a little bit because it seems that churches all across the nation all across the world are celebrating today, and they'll, they'll have larger numbers of people in there than they normally do. Um, there's a church up in Seattle, Washington called Mars Hill. There's actually a Mars Hill of Albuquerque here. It's, a, it's a, um, kind of a satellite campus of theirs, but they're actually renting out Quest Field where the Seattle Seahawks play, and they're expecting 20,000 people to be there today. And I'm like, that is awesome. That is awesome. But why is it only on one Sunday? That's the question I have, because don't we celebrate Jesus' resurrection every Sunday? In all honesty, when we come together and we sing the songs and we get into God's Word, aren't we really celebrating everything that God had already done and had done through His Son, Jesus Christ, and is currently doing in us because of His Son, Jesus Christ? It's exciting. And I'll be honest with you. I woke up this morning and was kind of like, Ugh we got to go set up at 7.45, and I don't really want to do that. And I, uh, I just would rather be sleeping in, you know. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not a nap-type person and stuff, but this radiation that I've been doing over this last week, I took a three-hour nap on Friday. I've never, not since I was two, taken a three-hour nap. And I just, for the rest of the day, I was just blah. And we were going to watch The Passion of the Christ on Friday night, and I just couldn't keep my eyes open. And that's a pretty intense intense thing to, to want to pay attention to. I'm not sure if you've seen that. If you haven't, go home and watch it this afternoon. Nothing like says Happy Easter, like uh, the Passion of the Christ. But you forget, you forget what Jesus went through to bring us to this point right here until you see that movie. And, and it's pretty graphic and pretty brutal, but, you know, it's kind of like, like Noah's Ark when they put it on little kids' walls in their bedroom. That wasn't a pretty story. <laughs> It's about human mankind being wiped out by God, okay? And, and people painting on their children's walls in, in their bedrooms, which is just kind of creepy. It'd be like, you know, putting a giant crucifix in their room. Uh, there's just some stories that are, are cool stories at, at the end because, you know, God saved man through Noah, and then he saved mankind through Jesus Christ. And those are great things to understand. So we do need to be excited about it. And I'm glad that we're here. Now, if you haven't been here, we've been going through the book of Ephesians 
And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to open up to the book of Ephesians. If you were new with us, if you uh, just got a new Bible this week because it was Easter and you knew you had to have one this morning or something, and it, ha- it still has that weird cracking sound when you open it, it's about Ephesians is about three-quarters of the way back in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. So open up to that, and once you find it, we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2, and if for some reason you didn't bring a Bible or some reason that uh, you, you forgot it or it's out in the car or you don't want to walk out in the wind to get it, we'll have it up here on the screens here in just a second. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and as you're getting there, I want to open up in prayer this morning. Father, we do love you, and we are excited. We are excited about the things that you are doing in us and through us, because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And today, the day that we remember that you had risen from the grave, Lord, help us to be excited about that, because it changed everything. Lord, there are churches that are meeting all over this nation and all over this world, and I pray for them right now, too, as they are sharing your good word with a lost world. If there are people who do not know you, Today, as they sit in whatever service they are in, Lord, I pray that they hear about your love for them and that, God, your grace was poured out on them. Not because of anything we have ever done, but, Lord, instead because of what you have done because you loved us. We pray it all in your name this morning, Lord. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, if you've been with us, um, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we've broken it down the, for, over the last couple of weeks, and, and how God has really, the book of Ephesians is all about the fact that God is doing everything, and we are merely the responders. And as we respond, um, there's something here in Ephesians, there's a word, grace, that stands out over and over and over again, and I want to read the passage, and then um, we're going to talk about that. Because that word, I think, is very confusing for each and every one of us. Ephesians chapter 10, verses, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised, up, or raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that... In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of of his grace, expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's word is a very powerful thing. And when we look at it and we see it and we really get into it, there are some things that are in here that just blow your mind. They just blow your mind. And, and, you know, I have a a really hard time sometimes reading a verse like this and wrapping my mind around it. And maybe you're the same because we see this word grace over and over again. It is by grace you have been saved in verse 5. 
in order that coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. I'm not sure about you, but for most of my life growing up, church was about what I did. It was about what I did on the outside that made me look good to people that I was sitting next to in church. But this verse screams the exact opposite. It's nothing that I have done that earns God's grace. But how does that work? How does all of that tie together? How come maybe he shows grace to me, but can he possibly show grace to murderers and adulterers and, and you know, child molesters and things like that? How could he possibly show grace to them? You know, there's thoughts like that that go through my mind. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'm a visual learner. Seeing that video at the beginning kind of wrapped up the gospel. I didn't really even have to get up here after that. You know, I was fine with just watching that and being done. But there's another video I want to show you. There's a video I want to show you, and it's, it's two guys um, called the Skit Guys, and they've done, they've done lots of different things, but they, they play it out here, this idea of grace with Jesus and Peter. Would you play that video for me? Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. 
go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. I love that explanation of grace. What happened on the cross took what was unforgivable and made it forgivable. And that's the reason why we celebrate today. That's the reason why we're here for Easter. That's the reason why that we get together every Sunday. And there's people all around the entire world that get together on Saturdays and they get together throughout the week for their Bible studies. We do it because what happened on the cross was made forgivable made the unforgivable forgivable. You see, <clears throat> I'd like to say that I've never messed up. I'd like to say that I've never messed up, but I messed up yesterday, and I messed up the day before, and I messed up the day before that. And if there's ever been a day that I didn't mess up, it's because I was sleeping, okay? Th that's really what it boils down to. And each and every one of us in this room have messed up, and some have messed up greater, and some have messed up less, but we all have messed up. And in this passage that we see today, there are eight words that I want you to see. Eight words that wrap up the gospel for me and the gospel for you, and it wrap up Easter. The first two are found in verse 1 when it says, you were. You were. The second two are found in verse 4 when it says, but God. And the last four are found in verse 8 when it says, by grace, through faith. You were, but God by grace through faith. And that wraps up everything. That wraps up all that we stand for, all that we believe as Christ followers. You see, the first two words, they describe our, our true condition of who we were before we became Christ followers. They describe that place we are at when we are away from God's grace. And it also describes the current condition of the world of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. The second two words describe how grace works. You know, there's quite a few times in God's word that the words, but God, are found either next to each other or kind of in a sentence close to each other. And when those two words come up, I always call them the biggest buts in the Bible because what they've done is they change everything, sometimes for just a man or a woman, but most of the time for mankind. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to see or, or read through, or even hear the verses if you went through Awana, Romans 6.23. But if you really look in there, it says, For the wages of sin is de death, but the gift of God, but God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we all have earned death because we sin. And that's what that verse is talking about, and that's what the same verse is here, when it says, but God's grace by God's grace, are we saved. So, but God, in verse 4, and then the last four words are actually a continuation of that thought of but God. But God, by grace, through faith. As we talk about this this morning, 
I wanted to let you know, and we're going to carry this on to next week. So for those of you who are only coming for one Sunday, you're going to miss out on the second half of this. You're going to have to come back next week, okay? Can you do that for me? Um, we're going to talk about this thing called grace. It's kind of like all those drug commercials that you see on TV. They have the wicked side effects. You know, you don't want to have a runny nose anymore, so spray this stuff in your nose, and it might uh, actually shut your brain down. But that's just, you know, at least you won't have a runny nose anymore. Those kind of things are there. There is a side effect to this grace, and that side effect of grace is authentic faith. But by grace, through faith. These eight words summarize everything, like I said, everything that Easter is about. You were but God by grace through faith. So what is this grace? Who's it for? How do we get it? Do we do something to earn it? You know, I'm not sure about you, but we have probably taken a time at least once in our lives when we're sitting in a service and you sing this song called Amazing Grace, right? I mean, I don't know about you, I watch American Idol. They even sing it on there. They sing about this amazing grace, how sweet it sound is. But what is it? How is it so amazing? I mean, if you really think about the nature of grace, I don't think it's that amazing sometimes. Sometimes I think it's unfair. And maybe you're in the same boat as me. I've been reading uh, Andy Stanley's book called The Grace of God. And in it, he quotes a book that I read a while back. It came out in the 90s called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And in it, they both quote the same thing, that grace is scandalous because it doesn't seem to fit with what we want. It's a hard concept to understand. It's a hard concept to believe. An even harder concept, and grace itself is hard to receive. Why is grace so hard to receive? Because grace is free. And I'm not sure about you, but anything that is free, there's always a catch, right? When a telemarketer calls and says, hey, I have a free trip for you to Hawaii, what's the catch? There's always a catch. So in our society, we automatically think, well, if God is offering this free, there's got to be some catch. If a pastor is throwing this out and saying this is free, he just wants us to put more money in the tithing box. That, that's what we get. Our mind automatically goes to the negative, and we automatically think it's unfair. And I think part of it is because we're shocked to see we are shocked to see what grace has to offer us. And it's almost frightening for what it does for sinners that we are all a part of. See, grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. God teaches us that what, what God does for others that what we'd never do for them. I mean, if you think about it, who would you, if you were God, save? We'd save the not-so-bad, right? We'd save the semi-sinners. The ones that aren't the real evil sinners, like we have these categories of sin, like, oh, these are just the liars, and these are the politicians, and these are the... They're not so bad. But the murderers and all those guys, I mean, really, should we, you know, should we really let them have eternal life in heaven? Let me put it in a little bit better perspective for you. Because this week I, I, was on, uh, I was on Fox News... Uh, dot com, and I was reading a story, and maybe you saw this story. I don't know if it was covered anywhere else. But it was about a 16-year-old boy down in Florida that um, six people, one of which was this uh, 16-year-old's ex-girlfriend, and 
that girl's boyfriend drew this 16-year-old into a house. And when he got there, they beat him with an axe handle. They beat him so severely that he couldn't walk. They broke both of his knees. Then they took a 22 caliber pistol and they shot him. They unloaded the gun into him. And when they found out he was still alive, they went and reloaded the gun and emptied it into his head. Then, not only was that bad enough, but they put his body in a sleeping bag, they put him out in the backyard, and they burned his body until it was ash. They took those ashes, they put it in a coffee can, and they went and they threw it into a gravel pit. I'm not sure about you, but that is sick. That is a sick, sick thing to do. That is the world that we live in. How can six people get together and not one of them think in the littlest bit that that is wrong? That this is a human life that we are taking. Now I want you to imagine for just a second that that's your kid. Just imagine for just a second that six thugs got together and they beat up your son or your daughter and they shot him and they burned them and they treated their body like as if it was trash, as if their life wasn't worth anything. Do you think grace should be extended to those six people? No. I don't think so. And if someday somebody had done that to my son and they came up here and said, you know what, God has changed me and I'd like to give a testimony. I'd like to give a testimony of God's grace. I would tear their head from their body right here in front of all of you. Because I have a little bit of sin and evil in me as well. And I would have no problem showing them that God's grace doesn't extend to you and you deserve to be in hell and I'm going to help put you there. Because I'm not God. And I've got to be honest, I'm thankful I'm not God. I am thankful that I am not God Because if somebody like me were God, I don't think I would make it into heaven. It is God's grace that changes everything. See, God doesn't have a he's too evil to get God's grace category. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? Because I think if there were one, we'd all be in it. We'd all be in it. You know that song, that Amazing Grace song that I was telling you about, that we sing about? It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch. And we've all sang it, and we've all said, hey, yeah, we're wretches, like a wretch like me. Corey, do me a favor and throw up wretch here on the screen. This is the definition of wretch. A despicable or contemptible person. Synonyms go scoundrel, villain, rogue, Rascal, reprobate, criminal, miscreant, good-for-nothing scumbag. Aren't you glad that God saved a wretch like me and a wretch like you? See, I think the hard part about grace is, is we want to avoid the conclusion that we aren't as good as we think we are. See, we have this tendency to think to ourselves that I can earn that I can earn God's grace. That somehow or another I am better than that guy in the standing of God. That I'm a better than this group of six people who killed this boy this week. That I am better than the Adolf Hitlers and the Saddam Husseins and the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. 
And in our little moral standards that we throw out there, yes, we are. When we put out there and said, this is the level of sin and this is the level of sin, we are better than them. But in God's eyes, when he looks down from above, we're all the same. We're all on the same level. We're all on the same playing field. You know, it's amazing to me that we in churches have a tendency to look down on people. When they come in, we feel as if we're better. We're sometimes a lot like these people called the Pharisees who helped kill Jesus. Luke 18.11 tells us, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. The robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Sometimes we get the same way and saying, God, thank you for not making me as bad as them. But the problem is, is like I said, God didn't send his son to die for the semi-sinners. And God didn't send his son to die for the not-so-bad sinners. He sent his son to die for sinners, period. There's no category of sinners that we're given. We are all sinners in God's eyes. Romans 3, uh, 22 and 23 says, the, righteous, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And you can put in there between the good sinners and the bad sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we're all in the same boat, and I'm glad that God doesn't have a fairness process. Luke 5.32 says, Jesus tells us, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Why didn't he come to call the righteous? Because the righteous don't need God, or at least they don't think they do. They think they're good enough. They think that what they've done is good enough to get them into heaven. If you talk to people about Jesus Christ, if you ever had a conversation where you sat down and said, why do you think God's going to let you into your heaven, into his heaven? And there are, most of them are going to say, well, I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. I do a pretty good job at following the Ten Commandments. Those are the things. Those are the people that think they're righteous. The problem is we're all sinners. We're all sinners, and God sent his son not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You see, when Philip Yancey calls God's grace scandalous, he's right. He's right because the doctrine of grace makes us aware of our sinful human condition, and we really don't like to see it that way because we'd like to consider ourselves good. I like to consider myself good, and that's why Paul wrote this passage of the church at Ephesus, and God allowed it to be passed on to us through his holy word. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You see, that dead is spiritually dead without God, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time. See, everybody's been there, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of what? Deserving of what? God's wrath. Not deserving of God's forgiveness. Not deserving of heaven because we thought we were good enough, but deserving of God's wrath. That is what we deserve. So if we ever say that we think we deserve heaven because of who we think we are, we are wrong. Because there is nothing that we have done that is good enough to get us there. 
There's nothing that we've done. And that's why our first point, if you're taking notes, grace needed. Grace needed. We are in a state in our lives that we needed grace. Everyone, and when I say everyone, is spiritually dead without Christ. And that grace that we need brings us, and it's available to everyone as well. You see, sin and these transgressions that the verse uses, they're our spiritual cancer, and they're eating away at us. And there's nothing that we can do to get rid of that. But there is something that God has already done. And if he hadn't done that, we'd have no hope. And if he hadn't have done that, we'd have no real way of, of getting there. I mean, we could try, but this, conve- this condition affects us all. But God gave us grace. And that's the second thing where it says, but God. You were dead in your transgressions, but God. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we are dead in our own transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. But God, those words are so huge, and sometimes we just look over the top of them. But God, even though we are dead in our sins, God's grace was poured out on us. Even though we were dead, but God. We were without hope, but God. We were lost, but God. We were slaves to sin, but God. Isn't it great to see those two words sitting there? But God, because that really does change everything. And there's three words in this passage that I really want you to see. And that is love, mercy, and grace. Love, mercy, and grace because love is what caused God to reach out to us. Mercy is what caused God to withhold his punishment. You see, he should have given us what we deserve and his mercy stopped it. He should have given us judgment, but his mercy stopped it. And grace was that unmerited, unearned favor of God, God giving us what we don't deserve. And that is salvation. Grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. God changed everything by doing something that we could never do ourselves, that we could never earn, and that we certainly do not deserve. And he did that for us. And of course, that brings us to the third point, grace received. It says, by grace through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. What does this verse tell us? This verse tells me very plain and clearly that we cannot do stuff to get to heaven. We cannot go to church or sing songs or have emotional experiences at church or even tithe. We can't do stuff to get ourselves to heaven because we think somehow, some way, we have to earn grace. But you know what that does? If you think you have to earn grace, that completely 
ruins the whole definition of grace because grace is something that is free that you cannot earn. So if you think you have to earn grace, you're mixed up in where you're at. Grace saves us through faith. There's nothing more, there's nothing less, plus nothing, minus nothing. That's it. It's plain, it's simple, it's by grace and nothing else. So my question to you this morning is this. What are you doing that you think you have to have to be saved by? What is saving your life? What are you putting your faith into thinking, this is what's going to save me? Is it your popularity or your good works or your money or your education or your family? What is it? Because if it's not God, it's not going to do the trick. I want to make it very clear to you that this morning. I'd love to lighten the gospel and say, if, if you do this, or if you do this, or if you do that, there's no ors. It's just by grace through faith. And it's very simply put, there's three more words I want to show you here. That is grace, faith, and save. See, grace is the source. That's where it all starts at. Faith is the means, and saved is the result. We need to understand that because I said earlier, authentic grace always comes with a side effect of faith. When we experience God and we experience God's grace, we realize that we are nothing, that we are nothing without Him. And when that clicks, when that clicks that we are nothing without God and we can't do it on our own, we have faith to understand that He has done it for us and in us and through us. And when we have that aha moment, faith begins to grow inside of us and that side effect of it will begin to change our lives. See, sometimes we think we have to change our lives first before we can come to God. But He doesn't want that. Because it says even back in that verse that while we are still sinning, while we are in our transgressions, He still poured out His grace on us. What He wants is for us to have this side effect, to understand that His grace causes us to want to do things for Him. Not do things for Him in order to earn grace, but because of His grace instead was why we do things. So what now? What now? Does this mean that we can sin and do whatever we want because God's grace has been poured out on us and we can't earn it anyway, so we can do whatever we want, right? Paul answers that question in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we live in it any longer? The next verse that we see is in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to carry this part over to next week. Because I said we can't do anything to earn grace, but we can turn around and, and give back to God. Because it says we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which we are prepared in advance to do. And I know you're thinking to yourself, okay, you've already given most of this message on the fact we can't do anything to get to heaven. What does this verse mean? Well, that's a great question, and I'm going to answer it next week, and that's why I want you to come back. 
because I want you to see and I want you to hear what God has done. But just in case, just in case you can't make it back because it's not Easter or Christmas, just in case you can't make it back, I want to challenge you to, to understand this verse that it is not saying that we are to do to earn. We are to do in response. We're to do in response because God is changing our lives, and that should be just the natural outflow of what we do. Why do people follow the Ten Commandments? Does anybody have any idea why God gave them the Ten Commandments? Was that the very first thing that God gave the, the Israelites? As soon as Moses took them out of, the, out of the slavery, did he say, here's the Ten Commandments on your way out the door? No, they'd been following them for a while. And those Ten Commandments were a response to what God had done for them. We don't do to earn God's grace. We do in response to God's grace. And that goes for tithing. That goes for just living. That goes for all these different areas that we think, oh, this is what we have to do to earn God's grace, and that's not the case. So I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to understand that God's grace is for you. If you have never experienced God's grace, if you think you are so bad that you couldn't have God's grace poured out on you, I want to tell you that you're wrong. I want to tell you that God's grace is for each and every one of us in this room. And it's our job to respond in faith to understand who God is and what he has done. So my question for you today is, how will you respond to God's grace? How will you respond to God's grace? The day that we're celebrating today is Easter. As we celebrate Easter, most of us in this room, if not all of us, understand what Easter is all about. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did that for you, and he did that for me. And he did it for the rest of the world as well. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. He did that because, like that video we watched at the very beginning, he did that because we couldn't do it on our own. A perfect man had to die in the place of imperfection. You see, when we're standing before God in the end, we might think we're righteous, but we are put to God's standard, and that standard is Jesus. Jesus lived a life so that God would see us in him so that when he died and rose again, God would see our lives as his life, as his perfect life. I want to challenge you today that if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, by grace, through faith, that this morning is the morning to do it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We could never thank you enough for the love that you have shown us to give of your one and only son. We could never thank you enough to think that us as sinners, us as far from you, us as people that despise you and put you on that cross, that you would die for us. And even on that cross, you would forgive us because we didn't know what we were doing. Lord, I know there's people in here that have struggled with this grace thing. From reaching grace out to people who they feel don't deserve grace or from the idea that 
they're so bad that they don't deserve your grace. God, I pray that you're working in their hearts and working in their minds to help them understand that, God, your grace is for everyone. Pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen.